0: Hi, Um, my name is Therese Ritchie and I am a practising visual artist and one of the most common questions I get is what inspires you and it's the most difficult question to answer because of course there's a defining moment that makes me make the work but it's only a defining moment because of its relationship with all the other moments, all of it, good and bad. And so when I was young, I never really received the world in a literal way Um, and I was often very overwhelmed. So much so that my school teacher was convinced that I was a little bit backward. And during these times of overwhelm, I would draw. Now, drawing was a strength for me. It helped me interpret the world and it brought me back to myself drawing inspired me. So what I want to share with you tonight is just is my relationship with inspiration. Um, so for a very long time I lived in a big lovely house in Darwin and it was, it was a lovely home and it was a typical home but what wasn't typical about this home was the number and variety of birds that would fly into the house and kill themselves. <laughs> It was brutal. And it wasn't random, it was constant. For years I was tugging their sticky little skulls off the concrete or scooping their bodies out of the pool. It's true. (laughs) Because this is a story and it's true. (laughs) Oh, now I've forgotten where I'm at. Anyway, I always saw the consequences but never the collision until one day I was sitting at my desk, probably making some art, and I saw this bush chalk just fly straight into the louvered wall next to me and just break its neck. Now, that was disarming enough, but the noise that was pushed out of that bird's throat upon impact was astonishing. And at this moment, I have to tell you that I am inspired by noise. I see pictures and sometimes words, often in Helvetica black. Um, And so the sound, the cry that came out of that bird's throat was raw, confused. It was shocked and it was sad, all in one sound. And it was the sound that looked just like my mother's face when she knew that she was dying. Pain and shock and grief can inspire. It was two seemingly unconnected events. collapsed time collided and poured inside of me, dropped inside of me. And in that moment, I fell in love with my mother. And she was an impossible woman to love. I was inspired. Memories of her just cascaded inside me like it was raining inside of me. So I got up and I went downstairs and I picked up this bird and it was big and warm and soft. And I dug a hole, I put it in the hole and I was just cradling its little red foot or big, it was a big foot. was their cheeky feet. And I heard this shift and I looked up right into the eye of another bush chook that was sitting on the fence watching me bury its mate. Now, the conundrum of the suicidal birds was still a conundrum. I am a a collage artist and I cut and I paste. And when I can't resolve an image, I just take all the characters out and then I get back to the original texture of the landscape I'm trying to create and that's what I did with the house. I just took it out of the mix and then I remembered what used to be there before. It was one of Darwin's giant mahoganies, and its canopy spread the width of the block and at that time I was also reading about desire lines and desire lines are like and all their paths that beings collectively and frequently use. It could be flight paths, migratory patterns, ocean currents. They're desire lines. Cultures have desire lines. So to think about my culture's desire line, you know, we like to put up fences and carve things up and put in roads and, you know. And at our most extreme, we just shave the tops off mountains. We stab the earth as deep as we can. We dredge the seabeds. We blast bedrock. We divert rivers. That's our corporate capital-driven lines of desire and we're all commuters. So every animated being inside the earth and walking on the earth in the rivers and the seas and the lakes and the oceans and in the air all have lines of desire, paths, cyclic paths that they use frequently, some, some smothering, some smashing, but they wrap around and they go through the earth, and it's like gossamer. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the tree and the birds, and I thought, well, maybe they just haven't caught up, and they were following some innate desire line towards the canopy of what was their home, but instead, they're obliterated by the desire line of my home. Now, when I was about five, we had an outside toilet. You remember those? And the thing about that outside toilet was that my parents could never stop the red spiders from living underneath the toilet seat. They couldn't move them on, just couldn't do it. And my mother had a strategy. She planted mint around the toilet. So it's a very, because that's a natural insecticide, it's very, we had a very minty toilet. My father had a different strategy and he suggested to me, if you're scared, why don't you talk to the spiders? Said, now that was inspiring because one, he understood me and two, I had permission to play. And so every night I'd walk down that path and I'd talk to the spiders in my head. I'd get to the door, I'd open the door, i have my little torch I'd flick the light on, I'd lift the toilet seat, I'd shine the torch on the little red backs and go, Hi, here I am. Do you mind if I sit down? (laughs) Little did my father know that I went into that toilet more times than I needed to because I loved the spiders. And the budding artist in me just saw that with the right design you can make something look very dangerous and beautiful at the same time. Now jumping forward into my teens, can you imagine it? I was a teenager. My brother and I had an av- had big aviary, we had parrots and finches and we had a lot of trouble with black snakes. And my mother's strategy was to whack them with shovels. Mine was, you know, mine was to get inside the cage and ward them off. And so when you get inside, <coughs> excuse me, when you get inside a cage, it's, you create a lot of... the birds go into frenzy, they panic. So my approach was to sit down really quickly, and close my eyes and concentrate on the noise. And amidst the cacophony of the birds, I could he- hear a pulse or feel a pulse. And over time, as I became more benign in my thinking in my body in my physique, the pulse became more palpable Till at one stage I couldn't feel the edges of my body. I could just feel the space. And it was the freest and the safest I'd felt, and I was inside a cage. Now, I always thought that that was about me communicating with the birds, but in fact, it was the other way around, because I would go in there frequently, and I was playing, and I was sorting with sound, and I was just separating the sounds of the cries from the sounds of the wings. I wanted to hear the sound of flight, because I always wanted to fly. And I was listening to the flight the wings and in that within inside that sound I felt the indolence of a caged existence. Inside is inspiration. And it was a defining moment for me because within about six months of that, my brother and my father opened those cage doors and those birds just flew out into the canopies that they'd been calling out to for several years. Now, now just jumping forward a bit now into 1989, I was walking with some Garawa and Yanua people in the Gulf of Carpentaria and we were walking back into country that pastoralists had locked those people out of for at least 70 years. So, when we, and I was there as a photographer. So we were walking through the country and the old people were, they were calling out, constantly calling out, calling out. And later on I found out that they were greeting the land and greeting the ancestors and asking the ancestors not to worry about the ignorant white person in the group. <laughs> And incidentally, because on that trip, because of my inability to find Sugar Bag, I was called Flat Eye because I was a photographer. It meant that I had the depth of vision of a television screen. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? <laughs> now, um, I'm just remembering where I am. I'm at Brownsmart. It's the 50th birthday. Right. Okay. Last year... I had an exhibition at Charles Darwin University and it was called You Are Here. And I, did anyone see it? <gasps> oh, excellent, so, but I will be brief in the description of it. It was, um, for a backward person, it was pretty good. It was 20,000 words was, and a 25 metre timeline that stretched around the room, plus there were 20 painted images. But in the timeline, I charted the birth of coal and the history of coal and fossil fuel extraction in Australia right up until COVID. And then underneath the top of the timeline, I charted all the corresponding massacres of First Nation people, land grabs and ensuing legislation and policies that keep those people tangled up. Now, I'd been inspired to collect that data for several years but didn't know what it was for. And I completed that work in the first COVID lockdown. But I was motivated to make that work. When I was listening to the TV, I was doing something, but I I work and I listen to the TV. I was listening to the TV and I heard a vet describing her experiences of driving through the bushfire ravaged landscape because she was out there rescuing animals. And, And it goes something like this, she said, I can still hear the animals screaming. There is no sound like it. They were racing out of the bush, screaming with their bodies on fire. Now the tone in her voice was like the hot liquid inside me, and it, I just instantly knew that I had to find out the relationship between myself, fossil fuels, and global warming. And thus, I began reading about coal. Now Australia started exporting coal within 10 years of colonisation, and around that same time, the Crown declared ownership of the coal and all the minerals in the land, and from that point on, which is only 10 years, the systematic extraction of this country's resources began. And all the infrastructure that we know today was revolves around supporting that. My family moved from power station to power station in the Hunter Valley, because my father was a civil engineer and he designed and built the stacks that emitted the greenhouse gases. So I come from coal, I bought my flat on unceded Larrakia land with coal money that I inherited from my parents. My whole life has been animated by coal and fossil fuels. I don't have any guilt. I just want to drop in and own it. Now, there's an important point that I want to share with you about coal. It's from a book, out of a book written by a woman called Barbara Fries. And it goes like this. Today's coal beds were formed in the carboniferous period. During that time, huge forests full of massive trees, 30 metres tall, they were vascular trees. They amass vast amounts of energy from the sun, carbon from the air. When they fell over, they fall into swamp oxygen-poor water They'd come and they couldn't break down, they'd turn to peat and then coal. So when we dig up coal, we are literally digging up the past. And more importantly, when we dig up coal, we've come full circle as a species because those coal forests oxygenated the air and provided the protection for those tiny little amphibians that slithered out of the water and eventually evolved into the beings that dug them up. Thus, you are here. We are here. Now I can't remember what I'm going to say next, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love that? Anyway, so I'm just going to start by saying, when that primary school teacher so confidently and generously told my parents that I was backward, my father said, that is rubbish, took my hand and we left. And later on he said to me, I cannot teach you what to learn, but I can teach you how to learn. I inspired him and he inspired me. Inspiration is reciprocity. Inspiration is a thread that I am loyal to. It's life pushing through me. Inspiration is is in the space between us, it's here. A picture can inspire but it is the life around the picture, all of it, the hard parts, the soft parts, the uncomfortable parts, all of it, that is the inspiration. And people say that I have the capacity to inspire when I speak but clearly I don't need to do it tonight because you are here and you are my inspiration. We are all here on a warming planet, extinction events happening all the time and with a 50-50 chance of survival as a species simply because our desire lines and our choices have led us here. Thank you for listening.